All right, so we are starting now a new series. Uh, it's a three-week, three-part series on citizenship. But you probably recognize that there's been a presence that's been missing here, right? Pastor Tim has been gone now for two weeks. I was like amazed so, so many people are here. I thought they'd be like, ah, Tim's not there. No, it's Pastor Mike. No, so I'm so thankful that you're here. But I don't know if you feel it as much as we do, the staff, because like throughout the week, we're, we're just all together. We're family. We're like, we're missing his presence, right? He always, he just like brings this element of cool to the office, you know. Uh, he's like got all these great wis- this wisdom and insight. And, and, and I was trying to put a word to like what I've been feeling, what I've been missing. And I was like, man, I just miss his vibes, right? He's got like, Tim Gillespie has got these vibes so good, right? He's like... Rock star, like surfer, theologian. I don't know how he does it. He like walks with his swag. I can't do it, but it's like just amazing, right? Amazing guy, great guy. So I thought, because I've been missing him so much, I would try and bring some of those vibes here today. So just bear with me. Mini Tim, Mini Tim Gillespie, everybody. <laughs> so what is so funny to me is it took me like less than a minute to find this picture of him and then realize like, oh, I have that, almost that same outfit. And then, and then what's even better is that I wore these glasses when I was in eighth grade. So like these are literally, well, not these ones, but same style, right? So, oh no, oh no. <laughs> those, are some, those are some tough times right there. So much hair, what happened? So, so the question is then, who is the real trendsetter, right? I mean, we've got to ask that question. Was it me in eighth grade or was it Tim like in his 40s, right? So I'm not going to give you an answer. You guys decide that. I'm going to take these off. So <laughs> Tim, we love you, man. We miss you. And we are so uh, looking forward to everybody coming back safely from Israel. So we're starting on this journey now talking about citizenship. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? What does that look like in our everyday lives? And today we're going to spend some time looking at Philippians chapter 3. And it's here in verse 20 that Paul says these words, our citizenship is in heaven. And that's basically all I wanted to say today. So sermons, oh, no. <laughs> but it, what amazes me, this is, this is the truth I feel that in scripture and, and the gospel and, and there's just this beautiful way that simplicity and complexity are intertwined, right? Because we can read this statement, read these words and say at a very basic and simple level, I understand our citizenship is in heaven, right? We, it makes sense. But there is so much more to these words. There's so much to unpack in these words. And, and I don't think our, this sermon is going to cover it all. So I want to invite you to... Read Philippians. If you haven't done it in a while, it's four chapters. Just spend a little time this afternoon. Spend some time this week reading Philippians because it is full of so much goodness. I'm going to share a little bit with that, of that with you today. Um, but to give a little context, a little bit of um, a couple of reminders, I would say, is that this is a, this is a letter from Paul, right? And Paul was a radical missionary for God. And he was focused on planting churches, all right, so Paul went around and established these churches, and the majority of the places that he went and did this 
were these large metropolitan areas, right? So if Paul were here today setting up churches, he would be found like in Los Angeles or New York or, or Dallas or Seattle or San Francisco, right? He would go to these big cities. He would establish a church and then he would go to the next one. And, and so the beauty of it is that he would always stay in touch with the churches that he established, right? So, so he would write letters to them. They would write letters to him. They'd be giving him um, some, telling him about the issues they're facing. They're asking for his, his input. And he wrote all these letters to these churches, right? And what we know them as today are the Pauline epistles. And there are 14 of them in the New Testament, right? So the bulk of New Testament writing are these letters from Paul to his churches, to these people that are meaningful and dear to him. But what we find different about the book of Philippians is that Paul, a lot of times in his epistles, was writing like a, a harsh word, sometimes a word of critique, of criticism. He was having to tell them to get their act together. But in Philippians, there's none of that. He's actually encouraging He's affirming. He's even commending them on their spiritual maturity, right? So he's, he's showing them love rather than saying, like, stop doing this. <laughs> Don't do that. Live this way. Be, be righteous. You know, he's, he's not actually criticizing them. He's, he's encouraging them. And so we don't see that in Philippians. But what we do see coming out of Philippians, especially now today, are these incredibly inspiring words that oftentimes end up on coffee mugs or bumper stickers or Instagram posts, right? So let me share a few of these things with you because I'm sure you're going to recognize these. Philippians 1 verse 6, it says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, so good, right? The next one, Philippians 2, 12 through 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Ah, oh, so good. And then another one, Philippians 3, 13, 14. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Oh, I love it. Here's one of my favorites, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So encouraging, so affirming, right? And here's the mother of them all. You all know this one, Philippians 4.13. Post it later today. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we see all of these beautiful words coming out of prison. I, I forgot. I didn't mention that yet. Paul wrote this letter while he is in prison. So Paul's in jail again, and he's unsure of if he's going to get out or if he's going to be executed, right? So he's living in this space of worry, turmoil, suffering, pain, and yet he's not focused on what he's in, what's happening around him. His eyes are fixed on Jesus. And instead of being caught up in the, the, the struggle, he's encouraging and affirming the fellow believers. He's helping them on their journey of faith. Now, I don't know about you all, but when my circumstances are less than ideal, I tend not to be the most encouraging or inspiring person I usually actually go to a pretty dark place. Like I get into 
for lack of a better word, a funk. Like, I go, I, when I get sick, this is the perfect example. When I get sick, I, like, hate life. I'm so upset. I'm trying everything to, I can take, do to feel better. I'm like, instead of encouraging my, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm, like, crying out to God, why have you forsaken me? You know, like, I, it's the worst. I don't like being sick. You can ask my wife this, and here's a good example. When we were at seminary, this was right at the time that the H1N1 virus, the swine flu, kind of erupted on the scene. Anybody remember that? Right, so swine flu is running rampant all throughout the nation. We're in Michigan, and I get sick. Bad, like deathly ill, right? Oh, here's another thing about me. When I get sick, I tend to think the worst. So I'm like hypochondriac, like full on. Like, oh no, I'm gonna go to the hospital. It's gonna happen. I'm gonna be like hospitalized, whatever. So I'm almost 100% sure that I've got the swine flu. And my beautiful wife, she's like, you're fine. You're like, don't worry, you're okay. It's not the swine flu. But guess what? It totally wasn't the swine flu. It was just the normal flu, right? So I'm thinking, here I have the swine flu. It's all over. And she's like, just suck it up, buttercup. You know, like. <laughs> but that's me. So anytime I get sick, I go to a dark place. And my mind tends not to think about God's goodness and God's mercy. And I definitely am not encouraging others. But Paul is. Paul is so inspiring and so encouraging. In the middle of this struggle, it's amazing. As we get to chapter 3 in Philippians, Paul begins to talk about the priceless value of knowing Jesus Christ. He says that based on his life, on everything that he's done, every accomplishment, every goal he's reached, every good thing in his life, he says he, has, he should have every reason to boast and to brag, right? But he says he considers it all worthless, of no value because of what Christ has done for him. Let me read this to you, Philippians 3, verse 8. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. So this word garbage here, when it's translated in the Greek, it can literally mean animal excrement. So it's, this is just worthless no value, refuse, right? Just detestable. And this is what he's saying about all of his human-given righteousness. Amazing, right? And that brings us right up to our set of verses, verses 17 through 21. Let me share them with you. He says, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Beautiful words. In a commentary by uh, pastor and author Matt Chandler, he's, he says that chapter three gives us these three 
ideas, these three ways of centering on the gospel. And he says that they are engaging, remembering, and anticipating. And so I want to spend the next few minutes just going through those, unpacking this, and helping us to understand what our heavenly citizenship means in our lives today. So look again at verse 17. Paul says, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. So as we think about our heavenly citizenship and how we live that out here and we recognize that, the importance of that in our lives, we have to recognize that we must be about discipleship, right? Paul's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. And he says that exact thing actually in 1 Corinthians 1.11. He, he echoes the same sentiment. Follow me as I follow Christ, right? So he's a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, be my disciple as well. He's inviting them to the journey of life. He's inviting them to life together, to growth and in God's grace. Here, he's inviting them to not only be discipled, but to be disciple makers. So I know in our current day and age, we talk a lot about um, the importance of having a personal relationship with God, right? And I think that is absolutely true, absolutely 100% right on. But if, if because of that personal relationship, we, we hold on to that and we don't share what transformation is taking place in our lives, then that's a negative part, right? We have to be willing to be an example of what the love and the mercy of God is in our lives. We have to be willing to show that to others. And we also have to be willing to see that in others. So if there are others who are further along than us, more spiritually mature, we have to recognize that they can disciple us as well. So I think sometimes we, we put a lot of emphasis or maybe it detracts us to think about evangelism because you can think, I have to know so much. I have to do all these different things, right? But, but discipleship in these ways of sharing our faith, of bearing witness, sharing our testimony, it's, these are such simple and beautiful ways, right? There is this huge need for us to build up and encourage one another, our brothers and our sisters who are already believers, right? We do that through the sharing of discipleship, discipling one another, being discipled, sharing life together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says in his book, Life Together, that we should meet each other as bringers of the gospel. I love that. And I think what that means for each of us, as we live out our lives, is that we need to be modeling and sharing what the gospel of Jesus Christ is doing within us, right? We need to be bringers of the gospel to one another as we see each other, as we meet each other, and we uplift each other and strengthen each other through that process. So not only do we model what the gospel looks like in our lives, but we need to see it modeled, right? We need to be looking at others, recognizing what gifts that they have, and how we can learn from them. So really the responsibility goes two different ways, right? Being a disciple, but also being a disciple maker, right? Helping others along. It's our responsibility, I think, to find people who can encourage us and that we can also encourage to be discipled and to be a disciple maker. Now, if there's any hesitation in you when you hear this, I recognize sometimes you feel, I feel, we all maybe feel, that you have to be perfect. It's like, I can't, I can't be a disciple maker. I don't even, I barely have my stuff together, right? 
But here's the truth. Here's what I, I honestly believe is that each one of us is an expert in something, right? So there is absolutely something good in you that others can learn from you and benefit from you, right? You are an expert in some way. And so recognizing that, how can you share that gift with somebody else? How can you look towards others and see what their expertise may be and learn from that? Be a disciple of theirs. This is the process that he's calling us into. And then he moves on. He moves us to our next point, which talks about our identity, right? He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from these words, we understand, we begin this journey of understanding who we are in Christ, where our identity lies. So often today, we define ourselves by what we do, by what we do, what we have, or what things are important to us. Right? And the trouble with that is that we allow these external and these temporary things to determine our identity rather than the internal and the eternal things that God has spoken over us, right? So we cling to these things, who I am. It's all about what I do. It's all about what I have. It's all about these things. But listen to what Paul says. There are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. And you see, if our identity and our citizenship is based here on earth, then it makes sense to live in worldly ways, to be about worldly things. But the trouble is, that's not true. Our identity and our citizenship is in heaven. So if we put in place our identity here on things below, we place importance on these temporary things. And the trouble, I think, then, that what happens is we form these bonds to these things. We put so much emphasis on who we are, what we do, what we have, that if God were to ask us to let them go, there would be a struggle, right? We would, it would be difficult to say, well, that's who I am, right? We have to recognize what our true identity is. So, friends, instead of defining ourselves by what we have or what we do, we must be defined by who Christ is and what he has done. Let us have our identity be completely rooted and built up in him. Now, I remember this time, amen. I remember this time when I was doing uh, my chaplaincy training, chaplaincy education, and I had to meet this committee. I had to go before them, and uh, it, was a, it was like a, an interview, essentially, where I would have to pass on to the next level of, of competencies and, um, yeah, outcomes, right? So, so I had this guy in my committee who just grilled me, right? I'm thinking, like, I know a lot of these people. This is going to be a breeze. They want me to succeed, right? But I, I sit down in this committee, and the first question I'm asked is, tell us, tell us who you are. So I'm like, okay. It's easy enough. So I start to say, well, my name is Mike Rhinus. And, and he's like, no, no, no. Cuts me off. No, we know your name. Just tell us who you are. So I'm like, okay. All right. So I say, um, well, I am a third generation Seventh-day Adventist chaplain who, and he's like, cuts me off. No, no, no. Don't, don't tell us what you do. Just tell us who you are. So I'm like, Oh, okay, like blood starting to boil a little bit. I'm like, okay, what is this guy? I'm like, I'm like give myself a pep talk, right? I'm like, you can do this. You know who you are, right? So I'm like, 
come on, Rhinus, you got this. So then I'm like, okay, all right, all right, I think I got it. I think I, I'm like, well, I'm a, I'm a skateboarder, I'm a surfer, I love it. And he's like, no, 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 cuts me off again. And he's like, don't tell us what you like to do. Just tell us who you are. And I'm like, dude. Uh, <laughs> so I'm like getting so frustrated with this, this guy, right? And so finally I'm like, okay, all right, here we go. I am the son of Roland and Sandy Rhinus. I'm the brother of Andy Rhinus. And he's like, no, no. I'm just like, are you kidding me? He cuts me off again. And finally, I just say, it seems like there's a specific answer you're wanting from me. So why don't you just tell me who I am? I'm like, I just give it. And I'm like, just tell me what you want from me. <laughs> now the trouble is, I don't even remember what answer I gave him. I got through it. I passed. But like, I was so traumatized by all that. I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> so anyways, the truth is, our identity is that we are beloved children of God and that our citizenship is in heaven, in the heavenly kingdom. And because of that, we must fix our mind on things above. We must not be caught up and consumed by worldly things, these, these appetites, these passions that distract us and that keep our eyes fixed on the things below. So we must remember the life to which we are called. We must remember to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and on his coming kingdom. And that's exactly what Paul does in these next verses. Right after he says, we are citizens of heaven, he says, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Amazing. That's the final piece, this piece of anticipating heaven. Are those not beautiful words? Isn't that something we should all be longing for, looking forward to? I mean, this is the blessed hope of our Christian journey, that these words, this, this image of heaven on the horizon this is what enables us and encourages us to press on and to persevere, knowing that Christ is in heaven, preparing a place for us, getting ready for us to be there together with him. That is the great reward. That is what is on the horizon and enables us to passionately pursue Jesus. The pastor or the professor and theologian D.A. Carson, he says this about this hopefulness and anticipation. He says, genuine Christianity, the kind that he, Paul, once imitated, lives in the light of Jesus' return. It is the kind of Christianity that joins the church in every generation in crying, amen, come Lord Jesus. In short, it is Christianity that is preparing for heaven preparing for what is where, for what for that is where our true home is our true citizenship our true destiny as we prepare for that great day may we be engaged in discipleship supporting journeying with one another building each other up sharing testimony sharing our faith May we also remember where our citizenship truly lies and what our true identity is. And may we look forward with great hope as we anticipate Christ's coming kingdom. Let's pray together.
God Almighty, we are so thankful for your grace, your goodness, your love, and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your call, which calls us to follow you, to be disciples. We thank you also for the prompting, the call to make disciples of all nations. Lord, help us as we journey with one another. Help us to be disciples, but help us also to be disciple makers. God, we thank you for this beautiful promise that our identity is not based on earthly things, but it's eternal. It's in your kingdom. It's as your children. And God, as we live out our lives here, we know they are full of difficulty, of trials, of struggles. And so, Lord, help us to anticipate the coming kingdom, this greater glory. Help us live with that hopefulness in our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.